Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Empire. Learning about and preventing head injury, it's a priority worldwide. And, and what's already been demonstrated by rugby is that over a certain threshold, uh, you really should look at this player, take him out of the game, and make an assessment. And if you're, you know, so you miss a play, okay. That's Dr. Joe Maroon. He's the NFL's longest-serving neurosurgeon. He and Dr. Aina Falvi, chief medical officer of World Rugby, will discuss how they are using new technologies to diagnose and prevent concussions. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. This year at all NFL training camps, teams wore the guardian cap, which goes around the helmet and decreases the head impacts that naturally occur in practice, specifically among the linemen. We actually profiled the co-founders of guardian caps way back in September of 2020, and you could find that episode in our library. Well, a couple of years later, protective devices combined with technological advances are helping teams take more control over head injury. Our guests this week are Dr. Joe Maroon, who's the NFL's longest-serving neurosurgeon, and Ada Falvey, who's the chief medical officer of World Rugby. We're going to talk about the state of head injury, where we are, how we can develop uh, ways to avoid it at all costs, and where the technology is. Thank you both for joining us. Our pleasure. Uh, Dr. Maroon, let me start with you, um, and I, I want to pull the curtain up here for a moment. I'm a play-by-play voice of an NFL team. I see what is happening in modern training camp now. There's a lot of change to safety, implementation of a lot of different items, practice regimens that have changed. Can you kind of take me through, before we get into the technology of dealing with head injury, um, what you've seen the league do to try its best to prevent some of the injuries that are happening? You know, the league is, for the last 20 years has annually updated rules, regulations, and and also looked at equipment in terms of making it safer, particularly at all levels, not just the NFL. And this year they've instituted the use of the Guardian helmet, uh, which are the very large, seemingly fluffy, but they're not fluffy helmets to protect against concussions. And the indications are that it reduces the incidents or reduces the forces to the point where hopefully it will reduce the incidence of concussions at all levels in the NFL. And Aina, tell me a little bit about internationally what is happening with world rugby and how the group is thinking about and dealing with head injury. Yeah, so we have a slightly different platform in comparison to the NFL in that we look after rugby in 120 countries around the world. So we're the governing body for sport in general. You have countries such as in the United Kingdom 
uh, where the sport has been played for well over 100 years. And you have countries uh, in, in Africa where it's been there for less than 20 years. So you have various states of development and various states of, of the game being played. So we have, uh, however, um, 15 elite leagues where it's played professionally around the world. And those leagues will, will play across competition as well. So in all of those competitions, we've introduced um, a concussion protocol called the Head Injury Assessment Protocol, uh, which has been in place now uh, for, for nearly 10 years. Um, and that has allowed us to track and follow what, what's been happening in the sport in terms of diagnosis and management. It also is an, an ideal platform for us to review on an annual basis, just as uh, Dr. Maroon has outlined, uh, what the injury rates are and what we can do to change it. So we've introduced a number of measures over the last couple of years which have been looking at new ways to diagnose a concussion and the instrumental mouth guard has been one of those. Okay. Uh, Dr. Maroon, let's talk about the mouth guard a little bit from Prevent Biometrics. Um, how is it helping you do the work of trying to understand when and how concussions happen? Well, one of the major problems uh, in concussion assessment in head injury and traumatic brain injury, particularly in sports, is what are the criteria uh, that are used to diagnose a concussion? Presently, it really relies on the physical examination, the complaints of the patient, and the symptoms. And what has been introduced and actually pioneered by, by Dr. Falvey with rugby uh, is the use of a wearable mouthpiece with accelerometers embedded in it that measures the number of hits an individual takes, the location of the hit, and also the various G-forces in terms of rotational forces and acceleration forces that are uh, produced with contact of the head in any sport, not just football or rugby, but in any sport. So what 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 Ian has really pioneered is he, and, and I, I should let him say this, but in the studies that they've done in, in rugby, they've come to, they've come to a conclusion that we have a, a dosimetry badge like in x-ray, how much x-ray an individual is exposed to wearing in, in an x-ray department. We now have an instrument that gives us a, a good, a very good uh, depiction of the uh, the forces that are subjected uh, to the brain during hits, and correlating this now, getting close to a number plus or minus that we should look at individual if they've had these forces, it may be a concussive injury, and they should be examined. So, but Ian has done the work; he's the pioneer in this. And, and I'll let him explain it further. Thanks, Joe. I mean, yes, the, one of the problems which, which we faced a couple of years back is we were unable to tell people the scale of, of so when people ask us how often do you hit your head playing the game, we weren't able to give them a figure for that. Because we're a sport where we don't wear, um, we don't wear pads like in, in, in the NFL, we don't have, there are some helmets, but they're, they're used infrequently and they're soft. So our ability to instrument equipment, the equipment that the player wears was much less usable. And the early, the early versions of instrumented mouth guards weren't particularly useful or reliable. So 
when we met when we first met with Preventin, we were aware of the accuracy of the product they have. It was a real game changer for us in terms of what we could do. So what we've been able to do is look at the community game right the way up from under 13, under 15, under 18, adults and in elite. And we've looked at what it means to play the game. So when you train a couple of times a week and play a game at the weekend, how many times you have head impact events, what's the nature of those head impact events, what's the frequency of the event, but also what are the, what are the, what are the phases of the game that are involved in getting those events? Because they're the aspects we want to address and change. Very importantly for us, however, is that there's also been a real shift in the last couple of years away from concussion towards head impact events. So there's a there's a question around, well, what are the events that don't cause a concussion that we should know about? Because, Bram, if you hit your head now, yeah. you might hit your head with a 30G force with 3,000 radians per second of angular velocity, and you might be fine. But I might get the same bang, and I could have a concussion. So we don't know. We don't really know enough about those impacts yet to know, but what we do know is we don't want you getting that bang five or six times a week, regardless of whether you get a concussion or not. So that dose, which Joe spoke about, really is the holy grail which we're working towards, where we can say, first of all, that single impact, you should sit down and have someone have a look at you today and not go back onto the pitch. But also, when we get to a Thursday or Friday, we can say, okay, you've had X number of impacts this week, you perhaps need to sit out some training sessions or maybe the game for your for your own good and to look after you properly. We've had tremendous engagement from a number of leagues in this. And we're just undertaking a new set of experiments with uh, the professional league in England, the Premiership, um, both men's and women's leagues, where we're instrumenting the whole of the two leagues. So over a thousand athletes will be offered the instrumented mouth guards and we'll wear them across the season. And with that, we'll be getting the type of data that will give a clinical approach to this. So the, the data which is there, but showing what that data actually means. So these players who had a concussion, these were the impact events they got. But there were 25 players who had similar impacts and didn't have a concussion. And that starts to let us describe what the clinical outcomes are in the, in the space. So it's a tremendously exciting time for us in the sport because something which has been kind of ethereal and, and difficult to, to, to quantify at times, where now there are aspects of the concussion journey which we're able to put some metrics on. That's very much thanks to the reliability and the accuracy of the, of the Prevent Mouth Guard. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dr. Faldi, let me stay on that for a moment. Um, obviously, you don't have the answer to this. 
but do you have any theories as to why certain impacts are affecting certain people certain ways and why the same impacts are not affecting people certain ways? Dr. Maroon is probably a better place to, to speak on that than I, uh, with the, the experience he has. But I think there are a multitude of factors. There's your level of fatigue. There's a number of impacts you've had already in the game. There's your preparation. There's your neck strength. There's the day you've had, how much sleep you've had in the week before, the preparation you've had, the career you've had, your age. These are all factors. And we talk about colliding variables. So it's very, it's very rarely one thing, but it's, a couple of bad nights sleep. It's towards the end of the game. You've oh. got a heavy, a heavy training load that week, and a lighter impact could be enough to give you a concussion event. Similarly, where you get hit on the face or head can change the type of impact that you have. So, for example, an, an event that causes your neck to rotate that could actually make be worse and be a lighter impact event. So, that's the type of data we're working towards at the moment. But I would actually be really interested to hear what Dr. Maroon has to say on that as well. Well, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, you know, what, how, how ironic it is that I think it was American football, NFL football, the problem with concussions that we've had in our country dating back to, you know, 2005, 10, when the concussion problem really became much more aware. Uh, and, you know, we've, I, I think we stimulated world rugby to look at concussive hits in a certain way that they weren't looking at it before and, and take heed and institute programs and protocols to save the athletes in world rugby. Now, what I see is world rugby under your leadership bringing an instrument back to the NFL and back to American sports with data that we don't have and, and really haven't been able to gather at that level to provide uh, an adjunct to the so-called eye in the sky. Now, what do I mean by that? In the NFL, a few years back, they initiated a program where a trainer, an athletic trainer or an experienced uh, individual, is watching the game up in the press box, looking at TV screens as well, and then with radios on the sidelines that we have ear, ear, our own radio connection, they say, they see a hit and they say, look at look at number 85. You better check him when he comes to the sideline. He got up slowly or he staggered or he postured a bit. Now, what I see coming, thanks to the work that uh, World Rugby's doing, is you have an iPad with the eye in the sky person and every player on the field you're able, real-time, look at the G-forces and the hits that are being taken by these athletes, and now you have objective data, not that, oh, he just got up slowly or this or that. And, and what's already been demonstrated by rugby is that over a certain threshold, uh, you really should look at this player, take him out of the game, and make an assessment. And if you're, you know, so you miss a play, Okay, but still, it's, an, it's a tool, an adjunct that will make the game safer, uh, both in rugby and in football. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. The, the, the point here is that there is no silver bullet to this. It's too, it's too multi-nature. There, there are too many variables involved. But anything that, that strengthens the case that you have, 
to have a look at somebody and to be precautionary in your approach, I think, is going to be a positive. I think what, what, what we'll also see, I think, is we'll also be able to, when we gather this data better, is to have that individualized approach as well. So we will know what an individual who has previously had a concussion, what type of impact they were, and if, if you had a, a you know an impact that occurred at a lower dose, you might be somebody whose who's alarm goes a little earlier than someone who doesn't. So trying to individualize that data will be will be the step beyond that again. But I think it will always be a clinical diagnosis until we have a, either a scan or a blood test that tells us something else. And this is a real help in us being able to to direct the clinicians in, in the right direction as early as possible. And you might even consider what, what are the implications of this, not just at the professional level, but say at the high school level, at the youth level. Uh, I mean, if you if your son is playing rugby or football, you actually can have an iPad while you're watching the game and know the number of hits and the forces involved as a parent. I mean, yeah. this is where the technology is actually going. So, and the implications of that, of course, are, are huge. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's technology being brought to sports to make it safer. Put that in the hands of my wife and my nine-year-old may never play soccer again. So we might have to slow you that are, one. Are, are, are you might actually be surprised at how, 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 few, how, how rare it is for your nine-year-old to actually bang his head. Yeah. That's the other point. Yeah, that, 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 that's the other point in this, which is we, and having. I, I think that's that you you've actually nailed the point there, Bram, in the sense that it's about parents having the agency to make their own decisions. Yeah, yes. Right now, right now, everything's being governed by by a narrative that you know we've got to be. We, you know, you know, this is what it means. This is what's going to happen, and this is what the outcome is. And the reality is, we don't have those answers at all. But the situation is, if we're if we're able to show parents that. There's a way for them to have an understanding of, of, of what's going on with their child. That gives them the agency to make their own decision, yeah. which, is, which is exactly what we want people to be able to do. We, we, we don't want people to have to take our word for it. We want them to be able to see for themselves what it means. And I, I, again, it sounds, like I, I, it sounds like we're having a mutual agreement fest here. But, but in reality, we have 8 million people that play rugby around the world. You know, less than 0.5% of those are, are elite. The rest are in the community game. Yeah. And I think parents are, would really welcome the ability to be able to have a look at this on the sideline about what's happening. That, that's, uh, and I do really think that's the direction this is going in. Yeah, I, I do think, though, and I think we all agree on this, too. Um, this information is not meant to scare everybody because I think we can all agree that in the end, while sports can be dangerous, especially contact sports, um, they're good for society. They're good for children. They're good for communities. We don't want kids to stop playing because they're scared, right? Yes, that's exactly the point. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's a huge point you're making, Graham. You know, there's a, a quotation that I frequently use from General Douglas MacArthur, who was the commandant at West Point many years ago, and he had a plaque placed facing the playing fields of West Point, the football, the baseball, the soccer, the rugby field, and, and the plaque read, on the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that on other days and on other fields will lead to victory. And, and quite frankly, I don't think Ina or I would be here if we hadn't participated in sports in our younger days. Yeah. The lessons that we learned about, about teamwork, about 
sticking to the fight when your heart is hit, getting up when you're not feeling like getting up. These are the same character traits that kids learn on the fields of friendly strife that really carry on into the future of, of your life, your work, your marriage, your families. So what's happening in this country now is tragic because of the fear, their overriding fear of, of injury. And it's much safer to sit on a, uh, on a couch, eat Fritos and drink soda pop, gain weight, develop cardiovascular disease earlier and diabetes than going out and having good, clean fun. What we're trying to trying to do is make it as safe as possible. And right. I, I, quite frankly, I, I think it's never been safer, particularly for the youth uh, of both countries that we're talking about here. Um, two right. things. That's be- correct. But two things before I let you go, and I'm just very curious about. Um, it's a mouth guard, so it's in your jaw. How did you figure out that that would give you the information you needed? to then extrapolate information about impacts and head injuries. And it's probably, that's probably the, the, the crucial point in the work that Prevent have done. With the first mouth guards that came, they were basically shouted, or if you bit down hard, or for example, if you took the mouth guard off and put it in your sock and then kicked the ball, it looked like you had were having multiple head impact events. So the, the work in getting from uh, you know, a, a piece of technology which is giving you random information to one that actually works. So each one of these mouth guards, not only does it have the accelerometer, but the algorithms which are used to look at the data, they center for, for your, the center of your head, they translate there. And then basically, even from that, it even looks at the size of your head in comparison to what, to, to, to mine being bigger or smaller than, than a child's head. And that gives us, basically the data has to be filtered. So Anyway, as, as, as you will well know, the digital technology is only as good as your ability to interpret it and turn it into the message we need. And that, that's where Prevent have done such stellar work over the last 10 years. There are, there are other mouth guards out there which, unfortunately, are, 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 are at the stage that, that, say, someone like Prevent was at a few years back where, where they, they may not have had the accuracy that's present now. And that's been the game changer because, as you say, turning some data from uh, something on a mouth guard into reliable technology that requires serious work. So, for example, in our study in 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 uh, New Zealand, our first study, our orchid study, we video verified the impact. So we looked at each impact. And we made sure that something was happening. But the data was so good and so repeatable on that. For our further studies, we now don't need to video verify. We know that if we look at the impact event and we look at the waveform that you get from that impact event. We know whether that represents a real impact or not. And even that alone has been a step which has occurred in the last 18 months, which has moved the thing on hugely because for anyone doing research in the area, it seriously adds to the expense of doing the research if you've got to video every game and every training session from two sides so you have accurate video. You don't need that anymore if you're using a mouse guard that's at this level. So, so yeah. Lots of work in making that data actually usable and and of a of a sufficient quality to be trustworthy. All right, last thing for both of you, and and this is um, here's a sports fan that wants a question answered, and I have two experts from two sports that are sitting in front of me. So when all of the attention to concussions and head injuries came to America, specifically about the NFL and other sports. Um, one of the things that people would say was, 
well, if they just took the helmets off, the game would be safer. That's never going to happen in the NFL. The helmet is too important. But here I am with a lead neurosurgeon from the NFL and the chief medical officer of a sport that doesn't wear helmets. So is contact sports safer with helmet or not a helmet? Brilliant question. It's a fantastic question. I'll I'll tell you what I can answer for you is that we have a softer helmet called a scrum cap. Not unlike the Guardian cap, actually, which goes on the helmet that you were speaking about earlier on. And it, that's very good at stopping a player getting a cut or, 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 or similar on their head. It doesn't prevent a concussion event. They're not, not anyone that has been made so far does. But there's actually a little bit of data to show that when the player is wearing one of those helmets, they will take a greater risk called risk compensation. They will, they will take a slightly greater risk. And in fact, by wearing the helmet, might put themselves in a position that they otherwise might not. So for that soft helmet, it certainly isn't, isn't always a good thing. The answer, though, for, from our perspective, is multifactorial. It, it would completely change the game to have a hard helmet in our game if we've never had that. So it, 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 it's a different question because I think when Joe will, will, will point to there are issues from having a hard helmet because that then becomes something that players can actually use. So I'd be interested to see what, what you've got to say on it, Joe. <laughs> well, obviously, when you do have a hard helmet, there's a tendency to use it as a, it can be used as a weapon. Let me put it that way, to tackle with your head. But really, in the last several years, the whole emphasis has been taking the head out of the game. Exactly. And, and, and uh, we, we know the penalties for spearing. We know the penalties for tacking, be, tackling below the knees. And, and uh, every effort is being made to take the helmet out of it. But in American football, I don't see the helmet being removed completely because of the way the, the way the game is played. Same with the with the face masks. And, but, I, but I think that to take Joe's point there, the majority of our safety maneuvers are at aiming about not having players sharing the same headspace. So you want the person doing the tackling to get their head out of the headspace of the ball carrier. That's our that's our main focus. All right. The last thing, um, since your players mainly are not wearing hard helmets. Dr. Falvey, um, what are the techniques that are taught to the players there to try to avoid head injury? Yeah, it's some of the game in the last number of years. So traditionally, the tackle was around the midriff. So the safest place to tackle another player is between their nipples and their waist. That's the, that's the safest place. In the soft bit in the middle, that's the safest place to hit. If you go above the nipples and you go to the shoulder, the, the, the rate goes, goes much higher. If you go below the waist and get to the knees, the rate gets higher as well. So in the, that soft bit in the middle is where you're going. The other part of this is how a player positions. So you will see one of, one of our advisors actually does a lot of work in NFL where he's helping NFL teams to help their players to tackle better in open play, where you're, where you basically you, you teach the player to get their head to the right side. They, they go to the side of the player where they're not going to have an impact event. The last part about it's usually about preparation. So having your footwork right and having your spacing right between the players. These are all the things that you want people to learn early, which is a part of there's a, you know, there, you'd often hear a question about there should be no tackling early on. Younger kids shouldn't tackle early. That's something we've got to be careful about because if you end up being 15 or 16 and you've never tackled before, it's much higher risk to learn it at that stage because mm-hmm. the impacts are higher, the speeds are higher, the body size are higher, and it's actually 
the, the injury risk is much higher if you don't know how to do it. If you're learning to do it at a low, at a younger age with lower sizes, it's actually probably safer thing to learn at that point in time. Again, a really difficult question and one that we, we continue to grapple with. Ah. Dr. Ada Falvey is the chief medical officer of World Rugby and Dr. Joe Maroon is the NFL's longest serving neurosurgeon. Thank you both for joining us. You didn't say oldest. <laughs> longest <laughs> serving, Dr. Maroon. Thank you. <laughs> That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.